I've met some people like that. They've done everything until you get to know them. They haven't actually done any of it. Good morning. I hope you all had a good week. I cannot believe it's already, we're past the midway point of September. Time just keeps ticking. I'm going to get some 90 degree days here this coming week, but then I think we're going to be uh, pretty much out of the heat, heat after that. So let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians. That's where we're at. But I also want you to, right here at the beginning, uh, also turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. All right. So 1 Corinthians, uh, remember last week I uh, did not completely get through chapter 4. I didn't want to get in trouble. So we have a few verses left in chapter 4, and then we're going to get into first chapter 5. Um, i got to make it a little bit more exciting or something. I almost had a defector. Nitin almost went to the kids' class this morning. And I said, uh-oh, I'm losing people. So we're going to get into chapter 5, maybe finish chapter 5. We'll see. Um, I say that every week. But I, chapter 5 is not real, real long, uh, but there's a lot in there. But 1 Corinthians chapter 4, if you remember... Um, at the end of last week, we were talking about the fourth issue that Paul was addressing, and that was the sin of the Corinthians doing what? Flattering themselves, yes. And, and uh, that sounds kind of funny, but, but they were, uh, the ministers more so were really, really looking at themselves as, as uh, verse uh, eight says, "You have reigned as kings." They were basically the kings of kings of the church here, and they were flattering themselves. And so Paul um, says, "Let me give you an example of what a true minister is." Right, and we saw that starting in verse eleven. Uh, Even under this present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and are naked and are buffeted. And he goes on, but he's saying this is this is a true minister. Uh, y'all are uh, reigning as kings. There in verse eight, you got you got the rule of the people. You're uh, getting whatever you want, very possibly even, even trying to gain um, financially from it. And he says, this is, this is what a true minister uh, really acts like. So we are on the second half of that, uh, the example of a true minister, and we're going to start in verse 14. But before we do that, let's pray, and then we'll get right into it. Father, thank you again for this day you've given us. Thank you for the week you brought us through. Uh, we had a busy week with work and different activities. And uh, God, I just pray that we would put all that behind us and focus our minds on your word. And uh, God, I pray as we look at uh, these verses here in 1 Corinthians, God, that we would learn from them as a church, as a uh, corporate group here. Uh, God, just we'll be talking about some uh, church discipline and different things. And God, I just pray that we would learn what our part is uh, as a member of your church. And uh, God, I just pray that you would bless this time we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul is, gives us an example of a, of a minister. First, he says, this is all the things that I went through. But then, starting in verse 14, he has sympathy for the saints. And that was one of the things we talked about in the uh, introduction was Paul, Paul is reproving them, but he does it very carefully. And not, not even like, because he's not scared of them. Um, remember, he said, I, I don't really care, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse uh, 3, but with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you. He doesn't really care about their judging him, he, but he doesn't want to hurt them spiritually. He doesn't want to run them off. That's not his goal. Um, so we see in verse 14, this is where he 
He's reproving, he's reproving, and then he says, all right, listen, as a father, verse 14, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. He says, I'm, I'm not trying to hurt you. We talked about that last week. I gave the example of Chris. Uh, if I just come out and call out Chris in front of everybody, even if it is something legitimately wrong, I'm going to hurt him more than help him. And that's what Paul's trying to do. So he says, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm not writing them to your shame, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. And so he, he appeals to his relationship, relationship to them as a father, uh, a, a spiritual father. Verse 15, for though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet ye have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. I led you to Christ. And then I started teaching you and training you and discipling you for 18 months. Remember, he was there for 18 months discipling them. He leaves, they walk away from what he had been teaching them, and now he's coming back and saying, hey, I, I, I taught you. Now, this is a reproof. It's not just a rem reminder. He's reproving them. Uh, kind of like a father would do. I, I think everybody in here is a dad. Uh, all the men are dads. And, and we do that sometimes. Uh, I've, I've actually heard, Pastor and Jackson, neither of them are in here, but I've, I've heard uh, pastor say to Jackson before, I thought I could trust you to do that. That's a reproof, but it's a reproof as a father. He's not screaming and hollering at him like a drill instructor, but that hits home to the son who's trying to uh, not impress his dad, but trying to uh, do what his father's asking him to do. And he says, man, I thought I could trust you to get that done. That hits home, right? I've been in that situation. Uh, got in trouble at school or whatever, and you come home and your dad says, I thought we had that taken care of. That hurts, all right? That's what Paul's doing here. He's reproving, but as a father. Um, then he has a request, and we talked about this last week, but he has a request in verse 16. Uh, Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. I forgot to read the verse I had you go to. First Thessalonians, you're there, chapter 2. This, is, this very much shows Paul's heart toward his, his sons and daughters in the faith, those that he has led to Christ. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. He says, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse, nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. You can hear Paul's heart there. It, it's, it's a heart of compassion. It's a father's heart. He wants the best for them. He says, even to the point I would have gave up my own soul for you because you were dear unto us. That's in 1 Thessalonians, but it's this, he has the same attitude toward his spiritual children here in 1 Corinthians. And so he's reproving them, but he's reproving them very carefully and very uh, fatherly. But then he says in verse 17, and we're going to finish up with chapter 4 here. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ. Now, Timothy was also, he calls him my son in the faith. So he was also a convert that Paul led to, to Christ. Um, and he's going to send Timotheus to remind them of how I've taught Timothy the same way I'm teaching you, or the same way I taught you, and I'm going to send him to remind you of, the, of what I have been teaching you. Uh, but he says this in verse 18. Now some are puffed up, and we're going to see that word again. 
Uh, Paul uses it often. Now some are puffed up as though I would not come unto you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. So he says, I'm coming to you if the Lord wills. That's also interesting. The Bible tells us to say, if we're going to say, you know, I'm going to do this tomorrow if the Lord wills. Um, and Paul uses, uses that here. But he's, he's, uh, he's saying some of you are puffed up because you don't think I'm coming back. It's kind of a, it's, it's an interesting thing. Paul, and Paul's telling them, I'm coming. But they were almost to the point where they're like, good, Paul's gone. Now we can reign as kings, as he, as he said in verse 8 there. We can do whatever we want. He's not coming back. There's no way he's coming back. And Paul's saying, I'm coming, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a judge at that point. Because uh, he says that in verse 21. What will you? Shall I come unto you with a rod or in love and in the spirit of meekness? But he says, some of you are puffed up, and I'm going to see if, if you have power just in your words or if you actually have internal power that's what he's saying in verse 19 i'll come to you shortly and if the lord will and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up but the power um he's not condemning every single teacher here in, in corinth he said but i'm going to come and i'm going to see some of you that have this flowery speech that he keeps on talking about um do you have any power in it because you can say all the right things and have zero power in it right um and that's, that's a whole other lesson, a whole other message for another time. But Paul is telling them, I'm coming. And then also very fatherly, because I've done this before. Um, verse 21, he asks them, what will you? Shall I come unto you with a rod or in love and in the spirit of meekness? My, my wife has called me before on the phone and said, your daughter is being very bad. You need to talk to her. And that's kind of the conversation I have with her. You going to change this yourself or am I going to have to change it when I get home? It's your decision. It can be a very easy fix. Fix it. Or I can fix it when I get home. One way or another, it's going to get fixed. That's what Paul's saying here in verse 21. I'm going to fix it. Are you going to make me come with a rod and clear house, clean house? Or are you going to fix it yourself and let me come in love and in the spirit of meekness and say, all right, good, you guys got it figured out. Let's go forward. All right? So that's Paul's fatherly uh, advice, so to speak, his fatherly way of of correcting them uh, there at the end of, of chapter 4. Okay, now into chapter 5. Completely changes topics, all right? And we see that pretty much every chapter, it's a new issue that he's dealing with. But now he's going to deal with uh, not necessarily the fornication here in chapter 5, but the failure to discipline it, all right? And so up to this point, he's been on the chapter 4 for sure. He was on the preachers. He was on the teachers, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You guys are not faithfully uh, teaching the mysteries of God. Remember, we talked about that last week. Now he kind of changes subject and goes, goes after the, the brethren, the people in the church. Here's what he says in verse 1. It is reported commonly, commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. Uh, so he's proclaiming the need for discipline. We need to discipline here because it's being commonly reported. And this is interesting too, but it's a, he, he's telling them the whole community in Corinth, it's not just the church. Everybody knows about this sin and you haven't done anything about it. Um, and I might get ahead of myself a little bit here, but I'll find where I did it and skip once I finally catch up. But um, 
it's very, very possible and, pro- and very likely that the guy in sin here was one of the teachers. All right. And the reason for that is verse two. I said we were going to see this word again. But in verse two, and ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. So he's talking to the members of the church. You're puffed up because the guy that did this. All right. So he's not talking to the person that did this in. He's talking to the people in the church that know about it and haven't done anything. And he says, you're puffed up. Now, it could be two things there. They could have been puffed up uh, that puffed up and not done anything because the guy there their leader was involved in this sin and they're blindly following him we've seen that even in baptist churches guys in terrible sin and no, the church doesn't do anything about it because uh, he, we we love him he's our pastor doesn't matter you got you got to clean it up but it also could be that the other factions that were following other leaders were puffed up and saying at least our guy ain't doing that okay so we're not sure exactly what he's saying there, but he's, he's talking to them. Either way, um, it, it applies. You're puffed up and have not rather mourned. You're not doing anything about it. You're not even sorry about this. Public sin. You've made the church of God a reproach to the community around you. How can you go out and spread the gospel when this is going on in the church, is what Paul's saying. So it's public sin, but it's, it's a public knowledge. But he says even the even the Gentiles don't, don't do something like this. Um, so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. They don't even do this kind of thing. And I wrote this down, but I, but I said this. Um, the natural conscience of an unbeliever rises to a higher level than the seared conscience of the believer. When, the, when the, uh, an unbeliever has a conscience... God gives that to humans. That's one thing that separates us from animals. Animals do whatever feels good. I always say this at home. He's got a one-track mind, my dog does. Food and going for a walk. That's all he cares about. And he'll do anything he needs to to make that happen. He'll jump on the counter and grab food. He has no conscience. You can train him, but it's, a, it's training. It's not a conscience going, mm, this, I shouldn't do this. This is bad. It's not a bad thing to him. It's a... I'm going to get a spanking. I'm going to get beat if I do this. So now, the, now uh, an unsaved person has that conscience. And that conscience, uh, God gives to us to draw us to Christ to, so that we can see in our minds, even as an unsaved person, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm a bad person. I need to, so I need to change. But uh, an unsaved person's conscience is, is, um, is a better conscience than the seared conscience of the believer. Because uh, in conjunction with a believer's conscience is the Holy Spirit leading. And when we sear, when we grieve the Holy Spirit and he stops leading, our conscience is even is less useful to us even than an unbeliever's conscience. Kind of an uh, interesting point there, but uh, Paul brings it up here. He says that even the Gentiles wouldn't even think of doing something like this. And here you are in the church and you're not even sorry for it. You're not even, it's not even an issue. So he, he says there's a need for discipline here. And then he also says uh, in verse 2, we already read it, but it's going to be pain in discipline. It's going to be painful. All right. Um, You've not even mourned that he that hath done this deed, and here it is, that he might be taken away from among you. 
Uh, verse 3, For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. He said, I don't even need to be there to know what needs to be done. My spiritual discernment has told me, this guy's in sin, y'all know he's in sin, and, and it needs to be fixed, and I'm judging, this guy needs to be taken care of. So then in verse 4, he, he says who it is that's going to discipline. It's not necessarily Paul that's going to be doing the discipline. It is the church. It is partially Paul. But he says this in verse 4, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul's saying this is going to be painful. But he, he brings up the name of Jesus to let them know, this is not me. Paul does this often. We've, we're not going to go back, but we've seen it a couple times already. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying, I'm not doing this under my own authority. This is Jesus' authority we're using here, but it needs to be done. Uh, so Jesus is authorizing this discipline that needs to take place. Now, Matthew chapter 18, let's go there. If you know your Bible at all, Matthew chapter 18, you know exactly where, what we're going to. But I want to look at this um, because there is a procedure, a very specific procedure for church discipline. And we're not going to get stuck on this, hopefully. Um, but I want us to see it real quick. It's just a few verses long. Paul is not, Paul doesn't send a letter and say, kick this guy out of the church. He's saying, he, he writes this letter and says this, this is what needs to happen. But then in Matthew chapter 18, we see a very clear um, procedure for church discipline and the reason for it. But verse 14, even so, it is not the will of your father, which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. Verse 15, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. That's, the, that's church discipline. You go to him yourself. He won't answer. You take somebody else with you. He still won't, he won't change. Then you bring it before the church. He still won't change. He needs to be voted out of the church he needs to be not it's not an excommunication where he can never come sit in the church again uh there's a reason for church discipline we talked about this uh, i think one of the first weeks we we were in first corinthians but it's to gain thy brother verse 15 if he shall hear thee thou hast gained thy brother that's the purpose for church discipline to gain him back to, to, it says, regard him as a heathen man and a publican so that he, can, he sees, wow, I've really made a mistake here. I need to get this right. He repents, comes back to the church, and the church should receive him back. Our goal is not to never, ever talk to him again or her. That's not the goal. The goal is to gain thy brother. Having said that, it doesn't say, it doesn't have a list of specific sins that you uh, uh, do church discipline for okay but we see other places um great peace of they that love thy law and nothing shall offend them so it's not oh i was offended by him we need to church discipline him and you get a group of people uh to to vote on your side that's not what church discipline is either it's it's four sins like we're dealing with in first corinthians it's four things like that uh fornication adultery where there is no repentance there's no remorse and the church has to be cleaned up all right, 
Paul, we, hear, we see in other places in the New Testament that if you have an issue, a disagreement with your brother, maybe something that, you know, you did work and he owes you and he's not paying you, you need to figure that out. That's not a church discipline issue. Um, but anyway, I wanted to look at that real quick. Matthew chapter 18, that is the procedure for church discipline. And then look at verse 5. The pressure of this discipline. Verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 5. To deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Uh, the, whole, the whole purpose here is the destruction of the flesh, and we kind of talked about that. To get this guy to clear this out of his life. Now, there are consequences, and this is, I teach, I tell my daughter this all the time. She does something wrong, there's a consequence for it. It doesn't mean I hate her. It doesn't mean um, that she'll never, ever get to do that particular thing again. Typically, um, it's something like she loves listening to stories on, on tape. They're not on tape, but uh, stories, so uh, dramatized stories and stuff like that. She gets like 30 minutes a day where she gets to do that. When you take that away, it's a huge punishment, right? It's not, I'm not saying you'll never, ever listen to that story on tape again. But I'm saying that there's a consequence for this little thing that might not, might not require a big punishment, but there's consequences. And that's what Paul's saying here in verse 5. There is consequences for what you did. You may get them right and be back in the church. That doesn't mean you're going back to a spot of leadership. You've ruined that trust. You've, you've ruined that opportunity, but we can bring you back in. But he's saying to deliver him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Now, some people say Paul as an apostle actually had the, the power, and, and not just the power in the church, but God had given him an actual power to deliver someone to Satan. I don't know if I believe that or not. I didn't look deep enough into it. But I think the, the uh, very easy thing to see here is that they were trying to use this church discipline to destroy that issue they were having. Not the guy, not the person, but the issue, the destruction of that fleshly uh, sin that was in the church. Um, I'm going to look at, uh, let's see, go to Acts chapter 5. I have a few verses written down. Acts chapter 5 and verse 11. If you look at the title at the top of your Bible, if you have uh, chapter titles, kind of what this is about, it's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Verse 11, though, says, after all this happened, Ananias comes in, lies to, the, lies to, the, to uh, Peter, he's killed, taken out, his wife comes right in afterwards, lies, she's taken out. What was the purpose of that? To kill these people? They were, they were good members of the church. They were actually giving. The, the sin here was not that they didn't give it all. The sin was that they lied. But what was the purpose of them, the true, actual destruction of the flesh? They actually died from this. Verse 11, great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. That was the purpose. So uh, Paul is saying we need this church discipline so that the rest of the people in the church go, whoa, we need to, we need to tighten our act up a little bit here. That's what the purpose is. Um, the destruction of the flesh. I have another verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 8. If you can keep up, go to them. If not, I'm going to read them as soon as I get there. Uh, so as soon as I start reading, just 
just stop if you're not there yet and, and listen. But check, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 8. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed. The reason I wanted to look at this is he, the goal here is not the destruction of other Christians. The goal is edification. The goal is to bring them back into the fellowship, not to destroy them. Acts chapter, I mean, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 10. Therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness. He's saying, I'm writing them. I'm, I'm writing them so I don't wait till I get there and be too sharp, too mean to you. Um, lest being present, I should be, use sharpness according to the power which the Lord hath given me to edification and not to destruction. And the last one I want to look at is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20. I'm reading all these to show you. Paul is not there to blow the church up. He's there to try to edify the saints and bring them, bring these people back into, uh, not leadership, but back into fellowship. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, you're familiar with this verse. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Um, they would not repent. They would not change. And he delivered them unto Satan to teach not only them, but other people. You're not going to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. You're not going to just do whatever you want, grieve the Holy Spirit, and walk along like nothing's wrong. All right? So Paul is, Paul is teaching them basically what church discipline is, the reason for it. Um, and then verse 5 through 8, we'll, we'll actually touch on that here. The purpose of this discipline is to save the Spirit. Who cares what happens, right? If you gain the whole world and lose your own soul, what good is it? That's what Paul's saying here. If you, if you have everything, you're a leader in the church, you're, uh, you have people following you, looking up to you, but you've lost the, your spirit, what's the point of having all that? So the goal, the purpose is to save the spirit, is to save his soul in, in, the, in the end. It says that in verse uh, 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, sorry, it's end of verse 5, uh, that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So the, the goal is to save this man, not to destroy him. But the other goal, the other purpose for this discipline is to separate from others. Because um, he says that in verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? And this is something that we said this at the beginning that I, I think First Corinthians is, and I could be completely wrong, but I think First Corinthians is probably one of the New Testament books that most closely applies to the New Testament church today. There's so many issues he deals with. This was a New Testament church that was dealing with all these issues. And then uh, the last part of the chapter, and we're going to get into this in, in the coming weeks, but he addresses issues and then he addresses questions that they had for how to run the church. And, and so it's very, very applicable to the New Testament church today. But having said that, then verse 6 is very important for us. A little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. If we're, if we're coming to church smiling, nodding, shaking hands, and going home and we're in sin, that little bit of leaven is, is affecting the whole church. It's something we must keep in mind. We're not only affecting ourselves, we're not only affecting our family, we're affecting our church. And, and the story that immediately comes to mind is Achan. There were people that did exactly what they were supposed to do at the Battle of Jericho, exactly what they were supposed to do. They walked around looking silly, 
walking around the walls, did all that, saw a great uh, victory from God, and everybody in the camp was affected. Uh, when they went to Ai, how many men did they lose at Ai? Anybody know? I heard somebody say something. 36. 36 men were killed when they went to the very next battle. Those men didn't know there was even a sin going on. They went there ready to fight again, do exactly what they were supposed to do. And, and it's, this is my point. 36 families lost their dads. 36 wives lost their husbands because of Achan. A little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. So imagine what our sin, this is something where we, we need to really look internally, uh, especially when a church starts struggling. It's our duty to look inside and say, is it me? Is it my fault that we're not seeing souls saved or that we're not see or that we're seeing issues in the church? Is it me? Because it could be a little leaven, leaven at the whole whole lump. And that's Paul's point here. He's saying your glorying is not good. It, it may have been that. And that's why I say uh, verse uh, two, you're puffed up and have not mourned. I think that it gives credence to that these other factions were going, look, at they're following this guy in sin. We're not doing that. But he says, your glorying is not good. Your glorying in the fact that they're having issues is not good because that little bit of leaven is leavening the whole church. It's, it's an issue. It's causing issues in the whole church. So verse 7, he says, purge out, therefore, the old leaven. Uh, it's a direct, um, it's not a quote, but it's a, uh, relation back to the Old Testament at Passover, they would get all the leaven out of the house, right? Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Very, very strong correlation back to the New Testament in Leviticus, I mean, the Old Testament in Leviticus. Um, and I actually wrote the verse down, the passage, but I can't find it. I think it's Leviticus 18. But um, where the Passover is talked about, get all the leaven out. Uh, and purge the church. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Just, he's just referring back to get this sin out of the church so that the church can go forward sincerely and in truth and in purity. Um, that is the goal. Uh, that is the standard Christ asks of us. That's it. He's not asking us to be uh, so winner of the year. He's asking us to go forward in truth and in purity. And you can't do that when there's known sin that you're not dealing with. And, he, and this is what I'm saying. He's, he's going after the church here saying, it's your fault. You're not fixing this issue. Obviously, the, the leaders couldn't fix it because they were the ones having the problem. The church needs to fix it. All right. And then he says, uh, verse 9, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to accompany with fornicators. A lot of people believe that there is a third uh, epistle to the Corinthians that is lost, but not lost because we have here uh, some of it. I wrote unto you in an epistle, an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. And he, this is what he's saying. He's not saying the world, that's what they do. They fornicate. They uh they have idols. They are extortioners. They are all these things. He's saying, don't, I'm not saying you can't uh, have any company with those kind of people if they're unsaved. We're supposed to be a light to them. And he says that in the end of verse 10. 
uh, I'm not, uh, let's see. You're not altogether with, yet not altogether with fornicators of this world, for then must you needs go out of the world. You're going to bump into, you're going to have company with these kind of people just by virtue of being at work, by virtue of being in the store. You're going to keep company with them. And he's not saying, yeah, that's fine. Have, be best friends with them. He's saying, be a witness to them. Be a testimony. Be a bold light uh, for Jesus Christ to them. But, uh, but now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that's called a brother be a fornicator or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. For what purpose? To gain that brother back. But he is saying, this guy, you know, say you grew up in the church, and all your friends, this is, this is very much what, what I had growing up. All of my friends were in the church. If I had been kicked out of the church, I wouldn't have known what to do. Uh, and what I mean by that is I would not have had friends. And I think that's a good thing. It's not, not the, it's not a bad thing to that all your close friends are in the church. But when all of your close friends, uh, it doesn't mean you, you see somebody in the store that's been disciplined out of the church and you, you, know, you turn and go down the other aisle. It doesn't mean you can't say hi to them because we're, our goal is not to offend them. It's not to ruin them forever. It's to let them know, brother, I can't, I can't, I can't. Uh, keep company with you. I want to, but I can't because of this sin. It's the goal is to bring them back. And even this in verse 11, I'm writing to you not to keep company with them. That's called a brother that has these issues um, for the goal of bringing them back. Now it's interesting in here and we're not going to spend a lot of time. I just got a minute or two left. Um, but he says, even when that's called an idolater, don't keep company with them. Idolater is pretty, pretty broad. It's not just worshiping an idol. It's worshiping things, anything besides Jesus Christ that we're going after and putting all our time and effort into is an idol to us. It's, it's something that we need to check ourselves that make sure we don't have these idols in our life. In uh, verse 12, for what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do you not judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. And in conclusion, that's what he says to them. God's going to judge the, the wicked, the, the unsaved. He's going to take care of all of that. It's your job, like we said in the beginning. Verse 13, therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. You need to judge them. You need to keep the church clean. It's your job. Um, the preacher can be part of that. But the preacher doesn't stop start this process of church discipline and i'm not advocating you know we need to, we need to have some church discipline it's it's a if you've ever been a part of it it's tough it's hard it should be a time of sorrow and mourning on that person's part and the church's part we don't want to see people i i'm very very carefully trying not to say kicked out of the church because it sounds like you know the mob ran them out but disciplined out of the church it's it's not a fun thing it's not something that should be happening all the time Hopefully, but it's something that if there is sin, the church needs to do that to take care of it, to gain that brother back, or if nothing else, purge the leaven out. Um, because this is not our church. This is God's church that we get to be a part of, and these are his rules. These are his, uh, this is his standard that we're living up to and trying to live by in the church. Purge it out, clean it up. 
Before that happens, though, we can take care of those issues ourselves by, by cleaning our own lives up, by making sure that we don't have these issues in our lives so that the church doesn't have to go through this hard, hard thing of, verse 13, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. So we don't have to do that. Let's clean our own act up, purge that leaven out, and get our, our lives right uh, so that the church doesn't have to go through this uh, this hard thing. All right, finish chapter five. We're going to get into chapter six next week. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get ready for the next service. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for this day you've given us. Thank you for <clears throat> the very clear instructions in your word. And God, because they're clear, and we know what the punishment, what the judgment is for our sin. I pray that each one of us would be cleaning our own lives out so that the church doesn't have to go through this pain, so that the church doesn't have to go through this, this uh, hard thing of church discipline. I pray that we would just get our, our lives right, be leading our families the way we know we should, keep ourselves clean from sin and clean before you and walk in that pure path that, the, of truth so that this church can go forward and be a light in this community. This church in Corinth was dull, and had no effect on the community because of the sin in it. And I pray that that wouldn't be uh, the case here in our church. God, I thank you for your word. I pray that you'll be with the next hour, that you'll be with our pastor as he preaches. In Jesus' name, amen. We're dismissed. <clears throat>